Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 10, verses 10 through 18. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. We are uh, continuing here through this series of Jesus's I am statements in the book of John. And we find ourselves in this second part of this same passage where God uses this, uh, where John uses this picture of the shepherd, uh, Jesus as the shepherd and shepherding. So last week we talked about Jesus as the gate to the sheep pen uh, and here we say in the, in the same commentary, we see Jesus claimed to be uh, the good shepherd. And uh, I've heard even recently uh, somebody talk about the fact that this is a passage about leadership. It's about leadership. And, and there is absolutely uh, a sense in which that is going on. Jesus is challenging the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees. And he's had this conflict with them in the previous chapter when he healed a blind man and there became this question of the blind man following Jesus, was he following this leader or were those uh, following the Pharisees and, and they claimed to follow Moses, the law of the Old Testament. Of course, we know that the Pharisees have added to the biblical law, that they've given people a list of things to do in order to be right before God. And they, th that list goes beyond the scripture, beyond God's words uh, to them. And so it is this question of leadership, and Jesus is challenging their leadership and claiming to be the one true leader. And there's a challenge to those who might find themselves in position of leadership, and that could be in the church or even outside the church. But, but I think more than that, what we have is, is a passage about following, and that applies to every single one of us. Who are we following? And that's a, a question that I hope that we're challenged with throughout uh, this, uh, these words, as we look at this passage, that, that we will uh, ask this question, who are we following? There's a lot about leadership, and we, we want to be leaders uh, more than we want to be followers, right? We don't go into a bookstore and find a section on followers or following. There are big sections on leadership, though. And, and yet, here we have this encouragement to all of us, all of us who follow something or someone and uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this passage. We're going to two points. We're going to look at the followers and 
to be clear, that's us. And we're going to look at the leader. And Jesus has made it clear that, that that's him. But there's a challenge to us in, in the midst of that. Let me pray and we'll take a look. Lord, I, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. We pray that you would move us to follow you more and more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's helpful for us living in Indianapolis in 2021 to be reminded of how significant this metaphor, this illustration would be for the original hearers. One is they would have understood how sheep were, how shepherds led. And at that time, they did actually lead and the sheep would follow them. They didn't use sheep dogs to herd them and push them and drive them. They led the sheep and the sheep followed them. Uh, we also know that this is a, a metaphor theme that has uh, been consistent throughout scripture, that, uh, that Moses was described as, uh, as a shepherd of the people, as he was the leader of the people. Uh, in Isaiah 63 and Psalm 77, Moses is described in that way. We know that David was a shepherd himself of actual sheep, but then of the people of God. And he was described in that way in 2 Samuel, and then there were promises that the Davidic Messiah, the one who would come from the line of David to save his people, Jesus, uh, would, would be a shepherd as well. We find that in Psalm 78 uh, and Ezekiel 37. We, we find even more significantly that God is described as the shepherd of his people. Uh, one of the most familiar biblical passages to folks both in and out of the church is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters and goes on to talk about the promises of God's protection, even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. God is our shepherd. And so that when we find in the prophets and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, the challenges that God gives to the leaders, what we sometimes describe as under shepherds, under God's shepherding of us, that he does at times appoint human leaders, he challenges those under shepherds, the leaders of God's people. And then he says, as a result, particularly in Ezekiel 34, that as a result of their failures to shepherd the people well, that God will shepherd his people. And it's into that context we have Jesus stepping in and, and claiming to be the good shepherd. And he's recognizing that in the midst of this, he's calling people to follow him as the shepherd, as the leader. We need to know that we all follow someone or something. And sometimes we give words to it. We name it. If we're followers of Jesus, we say it. And, and yet there also should be a challenge to us who follow Jesus. There are times when we begin to follow something else or someone else. When we begin to think, if we go to verse 10 here, which we read last week and we read again this week, that Jesus has come to offer life and offer it abundantly, that what we do is we begin to redefine the abundant life or we begin to seek abundant life in other places. And that's where we begin to follow something else. That's how we should think about following. That's how we should think about this question of what leads us. And uh, that, that diagnostic question of how are we defining the abundant life and how are we seeking it? Where do we think it comes? Because we all follow something. And I think there's a sense in which we all want, we all desire a good leader. We all desire someone to step in and lead well for us. 
I, I think we see some of that play out in the angst and the stress that we're experiencing in the midst of the political landscape in front of us right now, because we're looking to others to lead in ways that we think will lead us to the abundant life. But the problem comes when we think that the answer to the abundant life falls in those places. And I, I do want to take a little bit of time to note the ways in which we turn to the political to answer the question of where the abundant life comes from. And, and when we begin to believe and think and act in a way that the answer to the abundant life, the answer to our problems is political, then we find ourselves in a very dangerous place. We actually find ourselves trusting in something that will only kill and steal and destroy. And, and that's true even of, of those who aren't outwardly seeking to do that because the reality is, is we all live in a world where each and every one of us is in rebellion, treasonous rebellion against God. That was part of the confession, right? And that's leaders, even with a good heart, even leaders who want to lead us in the right direction. And, uh, and we, we end up with these uh, underlying uh, lies that we believe that we're not going to experience the abundant life if this happens. If our country goes in a particular direction and we see uh, folks claiming that on either side of the political spectrum, if we don't head here, then we will be destroyed. So we begin to think that's where the abundant life is. And, and we are, are very, uh, want to be very thoughtful about the way that the gospel applies to life, but recognize that we as the church are, are not political. And you won't hear us say vote Republican or vote uh, Democratic, uh, but, but hopefully you will see us uh, at times talk about the places where the gospel challenges. And the gospel does challenge both of both the parties. Uh, we find ourselves in a very difficult spot. I, I would encourage you to check out uh, the article. It's, it's now uh, at least a year old, I believe, but there's an article uh, by Tim Keller that says, where do Christians fit into the two-party system? They don't. That's the title of the article. Uh, and it gives this helpful perspective uh, that that's not where our hope lies and that the gospel actually pushes against both of those things. And that you, you will hear, I, I hope, uh, calls to pursue justice and righteousness, particularly in the face of racial uh, injustice. That's a gospel issue. It's not a political issue. And it, and it becomes a gospel issue as well when there are folks who attach the name of Jesus or the church to a particular political movement. And I talked about that last week, that the Christian signs intermingled with, I think it becomes problematic whether it's in protest or within riots, and certainly within riots. But when there is the name of Jesus attached to those things, we have a problem because that is the moment where we begin to think that the abundant life comes in those ways. We tie Jesus into those political things. We begin to think those are the answer and those things ultimately will kill and steal and destroy. That is not where we should seek to find answers to the things that are, are not right in this world. So how do we, how do we navigate that as a church, as we don't talk about in sermons or in worship service, particular political issues, right? We do want to be thoughtful. We do believe that the gospel actually calls us to move in this world in, in helpful ways and to apply it to all of life, our work, our families, our communities, uh, the neighborhood association, and, and politics more broadly, right? Let me encourage this particular application. Pro these things with the people of God. Jesus is the shepherd, right? He's the shepherd of the flock. 
And, and last week we talked about him drawing them into the sheep pen. The flock gathers together. The flock lives life together. And then he, he goes on to mention here in verse 16 that he has sheep that are not a part of this fold. He's talking to the Jews and he says, he's, he's, he's hinting at what is to come. He's going to draw in Gentiles. He's going to draw in all nations and there will be one flock and one shepherd, verse 16. There is a continual theme throughout scripture that the people of God and God's blessing to them come as they are the people. So let me encourage this. The questions that you have about the things that are stressing you out politically, culturally, or otherwise, process those things with one another. Now, now you may not have your screen. I'm not encouraging necessarily to put your screen on gallery view, but when we get to the connecting prayer, look at those faces, process things with them. Do not, let me encourage you, do not process these things solely online, whether it's social media or whether it's a news outlet, that will only kill and steal and destroy, I guarantee. We see it happening all around us. When we begin to think that we find answers only there, there are, maybe there are articles, maybe there are resources out there that you find in some of those places, and, and there, there are good ones. There are also a lot of bad ones, and that's why we need one another to process these things together. We are designed to live life in community. I, I recognize that's harder right now in the midst of COVID, so we have to be extra difficult. I think that's part of why we're seeing the division increase over these last 10, 11 months. And so we need to do the work to process these things together. And I'll give another specific application on this one. As we, as we see this picture of the people of God drawn together that are divided, right? As we approach MLK Day tomorrow, uh, as we are uh, a majority white church, almost all white, that, that is uh, the nature of who we are. How do we think about and process these things together? I think one is we do uh, want to process with one another but maybe we need resources from outside us, whether that's uh, uh, friends, minority, brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in processing with them, uh, but maybe we need resources. And I'm gonna just suggest two to you right now, and I'll do the same thing that we did last week and include them uh, in the Wednesday email. Uh, there's a book called The Beautiful Community. Erwin uh, Entz is a pastor in our denomination. He was the first African-American moderator of our denomination just a few years ago. Uh, the Beautiful Community, it's, a, it's an excellent book. Uh, another one is a book called Helas Emanuel, and there are actually two out, and I haven't gotten a hold of the second one yet, but the first one, they're both uh, a collection of essays written by uh, both minority uh, and majority pastors in our denomination and folks that we're connected to. Uh, and th so it's just, that's a place to start uh, with learning from those who are, are different from us, learning about uh, the realities of the world in which we live and thinking about the ways in which the gospel uh, applies. Now, that's just one area, and I think particularly important in, in this time uh, of celebrating uh, MLK Day tomorrow is thinking about the way that these things do play out politically. Uh, but let's process these together. Let's have conversations. Don't just do this online. That will only kill and steal and destroy, I guarantee. Um, we, we recognize that there is a sense in which the, the politics of this world are weighing heavy on us, that we, we are, are stressed at these things, uh, that there are these pressures that are happening, and we are being led by other forces. Uh, uh, this quote uh, from 
uh, a journalist, Annalisa Quinn, from a couple of years ago. It, it was particularly in reference to uh, some of the concern about uh, Russian interference uh, in affecting the way that we think and, the, and ultimately the way we might vote. And there was a, a great deal of concern about their influence. And this is one of the things that she said, this, uh, this influence being a problem, right? And there were many on all sides of the aisle that would say that that outside influence would be a problem. And she says, but Russia is just one influence in a whole ecosystem of modern pressures. Lobbyists, drugs, Facebook, covert agents, dark money, foreign agendas, dupes and double agents, fake news, bribes, threats. In the midst of all these contradictory influences, the world of politics can seem illegible, a chaotic mess of swirling powers. There's a war on for your mind, as the slogan for the conspiracy, series web, conspiracy website InfoWars says. So how are we supposed to know what we think? Uh, th this quote hit home because wh what she's saying is, is there are pressures that she's just talking about political and they're coming from all over the place. And again, it doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you are on, what, what policies you might agree with. There are pressures all over the place, pushing us in different directions, pushing us to believe and say and do certain things. And, and she's just talking about the political spectrum. And I, I read that quote and I just, I felt the weight of it. And, and that's just on the political part of our lives, but we're feeling it spiritually and we're feeling it culturally and we're feeling it in the way that we address and think about COVID and our responses to it. It is coming from all over. We are having all kinds of pressures. How are we supposed to know what to think, she says. And so again, I encourage us to process these things together, but to think and recognize that we are being led we're being led in, in particular directions. And it's not just political is the one that we're feeling the most right now. But maybe right now you're feeling more of uh, religious pressure uh, from particular leaders. And we have those all over social media that are telling us to believe and do uh, certain things. And that becomes problematic, particularly when, when there are demands outside of what scripture calls us to. But finally, we could, that, that could be... It could be somebody that you follow just as a, as a person, and you're, you're going to go to them for everything uh, that you have question about. Uh, and, and you might get some of their wisdom and good things, but you also might get some of their blind spots. And so that's why we need one another. Or maybe you think, uh, according to our culture, that, that you lead yourself. The answer is, is freedom from all those restraints of people who might lead in any area of my life. And so I'm out on my own. I'm going to do it on my own. And uh, I'm going to figure out the answers. And, and I might just switch from following this to following that just on, on a dime, right? I can move in all these different directions. There's a, a video called The Soul Shepherd, a uh, 30-minute video that uh, includes a lot of actual footage of modern-day shepherds in the Middle East. And, and they operate in very much the same way they did at Jesus' time. And uh, there's these beautiful pictures of shepherds calling their sheep and them coming and leading them uh, into the sheep pen and protecting them. And there's this one particular part where a sheep not seen by the shepherd uh, gets away. He's out on his own. And there's some picture here of Luke 15, where the shepherd goes after the lost sheep, uh, that, that parable that Jesus tells about him seeking out the lost uh, and there is footage in the video of the shepherd seeking out the lost sheep. But as you see the, sh the sheep bounding away and looking free and 
in, in the open air, there's grass all around and fields all around you. You think, oh, that, that looks so free. He's not just bunched up with the other sheep going where everybody else goes, right? Like uh, we have this idea, don't be a sheep, right? Don't be a follower. Again, we're all following something. But what we know about that sheep, as free as he looks, running away from the shepherd and, uh, and the flock, that what he's running to is ultimately his destruction. Maybe it's the wolf. Maybe it's sin and death. Maybe it's, uh, it, it's the lack of food and water that he will not be able to find without the shepherd. But we know that without the shepherd, he will die. He looks free. It looks great. Sin is appealing. Being our own shepherd, our own leader seems appealing and, and, and maybe is even experienced in that way for some time, but it leads to destruction. Let's be honest about the fact that we are led, influenced, directed. We could talk about the social dilemma, the, the, the video that many of us have seen on Netflix and the ways in which uh, we're not even aware of the ways in which our, the apps on our phone or the social media that we follow is influencing the way that we think and act in this world. That is true. We, we, we have those things in front of us, those things that are leading us, and we're called now to follow the leader, Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd. There are problems with the other leaders. I am the good shepherd, and good is not just this moral statement of he's good. It's good and beautiful and right in all the ways that when we read Psalm 23 and God's protection for his people, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. That This is the picture of Jesus is claiming this. He's noting that the religious leaders have failed, and so he steps in. He's fulfilling Ezekiel 34, where God gave all this language of calling out uh, the shepherds, the leaders at that time, and he says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to lead my people. And, and he is God. Jesus is saying, I am God. I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who knows what abundant life is, the, the real and full life. Here it is. Follow me. Don't follow these other things. And he does it in the context of relationship. It does start with the relationship with him. The relationship that we have one another, with one another, that we can process things together, is centered upon relationship with Jesus. He's not like a hired hand. Note in verse 12 and 13, after he says, I'm the good shepherd, he says, uh, he who's a hired hand and not a shepherd and who does not own the sheep, sees the, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He's saying, these other leaders, the other things that we might follow, they will abandon you. They, they will run away in the face of danger, and you will be destroyed. He's not like that. He has the relationship of the this picture of, of, of ownership. It's a deep relationship. And he, we, we know as well uh, that he, he goes on to say that I know my sheep, verse 14, and my sheep know me. And, and then he compares it to the relationship that he has with his father in verse 15. Deep relationship that is offered with the creator of the universe, with Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God himself uh, on this earth, who has come to lay down his life for us. And he's saying, there's, there's opportunity here to be drawn into my leadership, but into relationship with me. This is what he's offering. And in, in a sense that the, the people would know him and they would know his voice. We go back to verse four, which wasn't read this morning, but the, the, the 
the verse says that the sheep know his voice. They know where to turn. And uh, you, you hear all these stories about the way that shepherding worked at the time is that the shepherds spent their lives with the sheep. The sheep were around the shepherds all the time, and they began to recognize uh, their voice and would follow that voice. So that there were some villages that would have communal sheep pens, and uh, when it was time to take the sheep out, the shepherd would come and he would call his sheep, and the sheep knew which shepherd to follow and would follow that shepherd. That's this picture that we have of uh, Jesus offering relationship with us that we might know him in this deep and intimate way that we would hear his voice in the midst of all the stress and the, the, the clamoring voices that want our attention, that want us to follow them, that we would look to Jesus's voice, that we would search it out. And there's the continual reminder here that we find it in his word his word revealed to us that we're learning even now of who he is going through the book of John, the I am statements, but spend time reading God's word and learning about him and listening to his voice. Because not only does he offer that relationship, it's such a deep relationship and such a deep care that he says, right in verse 11, when he claims to be the good shepherd, that he is willing and does lay down his life for the sheep. He's come as the leader, but this sacrificial leader to give up his own life. Now, the beauty is that he also references the fact that he's able to lay it down and then take it up again. He's, he's referencing the resurrection. He knows what is to come, uh, but he does acknowledge that he's willing to give it up to serve us in that way. This deep, deep relationship and care and love. In the midst of all the other things going on, he's saying, here's what matters more than anything else. And all of the political voices and stress and division that's happening, here's what matters more than anything else. I'm willing to lay down my life for the sheep. For you, he says. You who, who hear my voice, you who I know and you know me. I'm willing to give it up. And there's this power there. Yesterday, uh, I, I can't not use a, a Harry Potter illustration as, as yesterday was a, a bit of a Harry Potter day around here. Libby and I finished book seven and then we watched both films uh, of, of book seven. So it, it is certainly on my mind, but there's a theme that runs throughout the Harry Potter series. If you're not familiar with it, Harry Potter uh, boy wizard who throughout the seven books fights against the uh, evil uh, wizard Voldemort, Voldemort, oh my goodness, uh, Voldemort. And um, he, uh, from the very beginning, he is empowered by the sacrifice that his mother made for him by giving her life, willingly giving her life uh, for her son to protect her son. And, uh, and constantly throughout uh, the series, there's this focus on the deep magic that the evil wizard can't even begin to comprehend, uh, that he can't understand the nature of love and the power that it holds. But that sacrificial laying down the life, the willingly giving up the life holds this power that uh, affects all that happens and protects Harry and those uh, around him. And, and I think that the reality is that that holds such a beautiful part of the story because it reflects a real story. It reflects the gospel. Tolkien in an essay called On Fairy Stories, talks about that all good stories 
reflect the one real and good and true fairy story, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think one of the reasons that we love Harry Potter is because there are reflections of the gospel in that story. And that is one that particularly hits home in this passage. He, he, he goes on to say uh, he lays down his life of his own accord, verse 18. He has the authority to lay it down. He does it voluntarily. He does it because he loves and cares for us. We need it, not just because of our confusion and not knowing where to go, but because of our rebellion against him. The answer to what is broken is Jesus. And he then comes and protects as the shepherd. He provides, he off offers the abundant life. And he does it by drawing us together. Again, that note in verse 16, that he's drawing all people with all kinds of differences uh, together, that we might experience that relationship with him. One of the resources that I suggested was Darlene Digler-Rose, who uh, was a missionary in World War II in Papua New Guinea, and she ended up in a Japanese internment camp and experienced things that we can't even imagine. Uh, and there's a link to there uh, to an audio interview with her, uh, uh, her telling part of her story, which does it in the book as well. But she ends with some of these words. She says, after, again, experiencing things that we cannot even imagine, she first of all says, I'd go anywhere for him because the compensations are so great. She's recognizing what abundant life, the compensations are the abundant life. And they're not that things would just be easy. They're not that things would be comfortable just the way that we want them. They would always be like we expect them to be, that we would step into the American dream. That's not what they are. And, and she's asked about her following him and was it worth it and all of those things. And this is what she says. She says, I heard him call a shepherd, right? Come follow. That was all. My gold grew dim. I rose and followed him. Oh, beloved, who wouldn't follow him if they heard him call? Let's hear the call of Jesus to follow him above all other things, to put everything else in subjection to him, to know that he is the one that offers abundant life. Come, let us follow him and trust in the work that he does for us and experience what he offers. His compensations are great. Let me pray. Lord, we do pray that you would allow us, give us the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit to follow you because you call us. We pray that we would step into that call, trusting in you, not in ourselves, not in our ability to even do that, but trusting in the work that you have done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.